Yeah. So did we start or not? No, we're good. We're live, man. All right. Hey, it's Moina. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. How's everyone doing? Waalaikum salam. Doing good, man. So it's a pleasure to have you guys here today. Uh, I'd like to introduce our team before we get started since we haven't uh, introduced a couple of these guys. So we've been ramping up our team, ramping up our equipment. So we actually have Alex and Saad joining Dr. Shadi and I today. Um, So let's just get started real quick. So what I really want to talk about is this concept of spirituality i feel like it's just become this blanket term that doesn't mean anything there's actually not even uh, in prophetic language spirituality is not even a word in, in prophetic and, language and i've been thinking about this like yeah. what what does that even mean and i and i think uh i i was reading the other day and i found that paul in christianity he is the one who actually separated deed faith from deeds and this is something like any college bible class they study and this is what I I'm uh, I think happened into in in the Islamic community in the Muslim community, we separate spirituality. The first myth that people always ask about when it comes to spirituality, to Sufism, Sufism, and Islam, is the first myth that it's something separate from Islam, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's the concept that's been taken by a lot of I think uh, people from the hippie generations who discovered Islam in Morocco and India, mm-hmm. right? And they saw all this awesome stuff. And they took it, but they weren't. A lot of them weren't able to swallow actual the requirement of beliefs, certain doctrines yeah. and practice, right? So they just took the Sufism. Uh, but now, know. but now, you know, like what it's become is if you talk to like the average person, if you mention like, oh, hey, there's a guy sitting in the middle of the woods and he's just sitting there and he's observing nature, but he just doesn't happen to believe in God. To the average person, this person is still spiritual. Mm-hmm. To a Muslim, they're a kafir. Right. Yeah, there's so, no so, there's so no, us, there's no concept of this. Yeah. You you can you want to separate your the separation between spiritual and guided is no different than saying someone intelligent. You can be very intelligent. We're not saying that believers are the only intelligent people. Right. Likewise, non-believers, not a misguided people could also be very spiritual in the sense that they like to sit in woods, they like to go in nature, they don't like to go into factories and and have all metal around them. But this is not what guidance is, right? This right. is not what guidance is. Guidance is a whole different subject, right? Than merely organic, holistic, everything's organic and everything's holistic. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, you made the point about spirituality. It's not even a concept, right, for us. It's like so far removed. It's it, it's like you can't even think about Islam without what, you know, over here we would consider spirituality. And I was looking it up and you know, like the history of the actual word spirituality. And, um, you know, according to Wikipedia, wor- words translatable as spirituality first began to arise in the 5th century and only entered common use toward the end of the Middle Ages. So it's like even that concept yeah. arose kind of and later traction think right. in, became, in the Middle Ages. I think it only became popular after industrialization. When people were living in these cities with factories all day, in factories all day then they needed to go run to the woods yeah. well this is yeah. this is where Reconnect. you have the origin of like the theosophical societies yeah. Madame Blavatsky uh-huh. and the precursors by the way to what ends up being the perennialist movement uh-huh. so so for our listeners uh, can somebody explain perennialism quickly per- <laughs> we talk per- about this a lot but uh, perennialism is basically uh, besides that it's the thing that I discovered before like 99% of the rest of the community, <laughs> right? Because I like, I lived with them basically for two years in GW. They're all perennialists up there. But uh, it's basically this belief that all religions contain some truth and therefore are all avenues from different perspectives like 
uh, spokes in a wheel. They're all different spokes and a wheel. And even mutually exclusive concepts and ideas are all relative. Right. Right. So, so in the same way that we have uh, Hanafi fiqh and Maliki mm. fiqh. So the definition of sunnah, how you define sunnah and how you use it in Islamic, uh, uh, in fiqh, right, in usul of fiqh is, is different because the Prophet ﷺ, he never set down one definition for what the sunnah is, right? So what kind of hadith? Sahih hadith, amal uh, al-Madina, etc. So that's why we can have relative methodologies and therefore madhabs. Right. Well, in the perennialist worldview, theologies themselves are all relative. Right. right, so every mm. theology, being a Christian, would just be another madhab. It's just basically. another path, right? In, another path to salvation. Right. Are, are, they're basically saying that all, all these different path, all these different, you know, uh, religious beliefs are all paths to salvation. Basically. And let's be clear mm. to anyone listening, this is not correct, right? Yeah, this is totally, <laughs> this is why I told one of these guys, uh, you're, you're not going to celebrate the Mawlid, right? I mean, because how could you celebrate a prophet while insulting him at the same time? He said, oh, wait, how do I insult the prophet? I never insulted the prophet. I said, your theology is the biggest insult to the prophet, peace be upon him, for you to say that he's an add-on, an optional add-on, right? That you could follow uh, the ways of uh, Hinduism, right? You could follow the ways of Christi- Christianity, right? In their orthodox forms, as they say, right? You could follow all these ways and, and be paths to salvation. That means that the prophet is optional. So he's an optional add-on, basically. That's what your theology has rendered the Prophet, peace be upon him. And that's why you know, spirituality, Islam, is the umbrella for us, right? Guidance. And then you could you could focus on spirituality, you could focus on law, you could focus on service, you could focus on different things within the aqidah, all right, of guidance. But for them, no, spirituality is the ultimate umbrella and everything fits underneath that. Right, and it becomes for lots of people that you know, do some dhikr, do this, do that, you know, and you're good, right? You just feel good, you're, you're happy, and now you have att- attained something, right? Yeah. I would dispute. Now, it might feel good, and they may think that they're experiencing some joy, but I think that a lot of it comes from this, this spirituality that's detached from actual religion. A lot of it just comes from, you know, the human soul is made to appreciate beauty. Mm-hmm. And so you sit out in nature. It's beautiful. Right. Mm-hmm. You should all try it one day, right? It is really beautiful <laughs> right. to go out yeah. there before dawn in the woods and you hear the birds. Or, you know, sacred music is beautiful. And it's more beautiful than pop music. So whether it's Qasidas or whether it's like Christopher Hitchens, you know, big shaitan, mm-hmm. uh, atheist, promote, big promoter of new atheism, and also a big proponent of the war in Iraq, even though he was a liberal before of that. The, what? the war in Iraq. Oh, the and he was a big liberal before that. Um, Christopher Hitchens. He's still a proponent of, of that. He, well, he still justifies that. He's dead now. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, yeah. So hopefully to his he, death, he did to that. His yeah. Death, yeah, to he his did, death. Right. Yeah, he still argued that it was a good move. Christopher Hitchens, when pressed about, do you think that religion has contributed nothing? He was like, well, you know, the architecture of these cathedrals in Europe is very beautiful. And there's nothing more beautiful than like church choral music. So yeah, the, the soul appreciates beauty. And it gives you pleasure and it gives you some kind of happiness. But they're, that's all they're getting. It's just very surface. And it's it's something like, you know, it's just pleasing to the ear. It's pleasing to the eye. What you're saying is actually something I have in my notes here. Is that basically... It's basically religion appreciation. That's what it is. Like, it remember is. those classes you yeah. took in yeah. college where it was like art appreciation? Uh-huh. It's like religion appreciation. Yeah. Like, all right, that's cool, but I don't want to do anything. I'm, yeah. like, I'm not actually going to be an yeah. artist yeah. or actually going to be a... Yeah, you're just you know, there to appreciate it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like when you go out and you look at nature and you go, yeah. wow... 
what you should be saying is subhanallah yeah right right, right. and one of the things uh that I, I have in my notes today is that people people imagine a type of spirituality and you're looking and you're thinking well a lot of people are spiritual right and they're not on islam or guidance right so they might be buddhist uh, monks right whatever right a lot of people out there very calm or yet they you could say that they have a positive energy etc and the reason <laughs> is that you could tap into light you could tap into spiritual light in two ways the first way is given to everyone that's the fitra right which you're born with it right you're born with it but it has a limitation the second one is through revelation and this is why anyone who's predominantly people who go and they recognize and get a taste of the spirituality that results from people practicing in other words the taste of people believing and and, and doing the worships that uh, we do in islam right he will never revert to only just fitra based spirituality right so that's why people get fooled and tricked and Im into imagining wait spirituality is for everyone likewise intelligence is for everyone the kuffar could be intelligent right. right likewise a kafir he could be in touch with his his whatever organic holistic whatever right he could be in touch with all that stuff it's it should not be confused with guidance and that's why the starting point here of spirituality is to separate what spirituality is right versus guidance and there's a huge difference right absolutely you could be a total you could be a guided person but you're not spiritual you go in the house there's plastic and metal everywhere there are no plants they're not singing right but they're guided right they believe in allah they're they're doing the halal they're praying they're making dua right they're doing all these things memorizing quran but they're just not like spiritual there's not there's no organic honey or something like that on the shelf right you know? and 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 the thing is though you have both of these extremes right and now what it's become is you know especially with you know the the salafi movement and things like this is there's a backlash against spirituality as well which i don't blame because you know there have been some crazy people doing some crazy things and, and Dr. Yeah. i know you taught you post about this a lot right you have these crazy sufi groups or you know, still almost cult, almost cult-like, mm -hmm. right? Where they do some nonsense stuff, and you're like, okay, this have is you ever seen swallowing razor blades? Have you ever seen that stuff going on in India? Uh, I haven't, but I, I've seen some. I've seen some crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah. See, my dad saw that stuff growing up, but it's pretty much, I think, almost died out in Egypt. I think I don't know. Maybe maybe it hasn't, but uh, the crazy stuff that people describe right now. It's usually coming coming out of India. I've seen people right. swallow like blades and in the name of like vicar or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but the to thing about that is the pain, right? Yeah. yeah um, so was so Saad was telling me about this video um, he saw where it was like a, I think it was a, some sort of hadra or some sort of vicar where and and you know it was in the beginning it was just like a normal vicar and they're just going and then they're all Kurdish, of a sudden yeah. yeah yeah it was a Kurdish and then all of a sudden forget dancing now they start bringing out like blades and they start cutting each other and then they're like wow. they're no they put the they put the razor blades in their mouth and that's then they start chewing on the razor blades that's insane You're kidding me. Yeah, yeah yeah this There's, is happening this is modern times we we watched this i watched this video in it was in a, doing it was in, well. a, in an undergrad uh class on islamic mysticism we watched this class and the professor was like all right we got to shut it off now because and this was after we already saw them swallow the razor blades. It was like, okay, now we got to shut it off because it's going to get more graphic from here. <laughs> and I was like, this. But okay. see, well, the thing stupid. about this is, right, judging spirituality, especially Islamic spirituality, based on 
crazy people that are ignorant and do ignorant things is like judging conservative, you know, uh, we'll call it Salafism, right? Yeah. Regular mainstream, if it, if you can use that term, Salafism, by ISIS. Yeah, or absolutely. By, yeah. You know, absolutely, right. Yep. So it's not the same thing. There's people who take, take things to extremes and they're ignorant yeah. and they of don't course. even know their own message. And, and by the way, you should know that the whole uh, methodology of Orientalism, right, and methodology of history, and this is documented, uh, Western history, is to go look, is to assume that what's mainstream has become mainstream through lies and deception, and that the truth probably lies more on the fringe in the fringe groups than anything else. That's why whenever you take an Islam course, they will spend the equal amount of time on groups that can constitute five, two, or two percent of the ummah as they will on what is the right your mainstream Sunni Islam. It's very true. Anyone listening, do not take your Islam one on one classes in college. Do not take any Islamic classes in college unless. You know that the prof- who the professor is like uh, through your community or something. Don't take these classes. You have got to know that the method is to bring the fringe groups. And at the end of the day, even if you do like what you see, you still won't go into it because you don't know which one is true, which group is true. You right. presented to me 30 Islamic groups in 12 lectures, right? So which where who, who has the truth? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know? And that's why, right, I think everybody now when they hear... Sufis or they hear Salafis like you get this like knee-jerk reaction uh-huh. right like both of them are just misguided I was talking to someone recently and we just happened to talk about like dhikr and they were like oh you know this is a bid'ah or like you know even when you talk about when you talk to some you know so some Sufis you say anything about Salafis they'll be like don't don't bring up these kafirs and I'm like you know <laughs> I'm like this is like then what is like the average person supposed to do they're just lost right I, uh, subhanallah and people's usually what they do is they just take a knee jerk to the opposite from the first bad experience or they latch onto the first good experience and you just at that point you just have to hope that they had a good experience yeah. right my friend in Connecticut, who I roomed with, when I, I went to Connecticut, no home, no job, and I had work the next, or no home, and I had to work the next day. I did not, know, I didn't know a single person, right? And I had a, uh, to work the next day, start a job. I just got a job like two days before, so I get up there, I go into the masjid, and I end up finding this guy, and a very cool, chill guy, right? But when the subject comes on dhikr or anything related to Abdul Qadir Jailani or to Tasawwuf. He d- turns into another person. He won't go ballistic against this stuff. Why? Right? Reason being is that his stepfather or his family, wherever he grew up with, right, they would go to this masjid in India, right? And no, they would no. go to these, whatever, what do you call these? Mazars, Mazars right? Mazars, yeah. They would go to all these things, okay? And, and he just had a very bad experience and thought these people were insane, right? Thought these people were crazy. So the first masjid he came to here that told him all this stuff is bid'ah, he was like, oh, I've been looking for this, right? Right. And that's why And the opposite that happens to people who are so far removed from dhikr and spirituality. The first, like, Sufi group that they find, they're like, oh, this is the truth. Uh-huh. Right? I found it now, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> Especially when, you know, a lot of these Sufi groups, they'll promise you, like, the treasures of, you know, the, the, the secrets of the heart. Well, actually, like... <laughs> one of the things that happens to people is that they get derailed from what guidance wants us to do. We're supposed to uh, attain kamal al-ubudiyya lillah. Perfect servanthood. Rather, what you end up with a lot of Sufi groups is an obsession with secrets. Right. Right. The secret hierarchy of the awliya. Jabal qaf. Right. 
what's happening to Jabal Qaf? Who are the seven Abdal? Who are the 40 Nuqaba? Right? Uh, so uh, all these things, who is the Qutb of the age? All these things, and the Hikam of Ibn Atta says, every Murid, he becomes interested in this question, but rather he should focus on what's your job, right? If Allah, right. Is, Allah is pleased with you to be a janitor who knows nothing except, you know, 10 things, then that's where you're going to find your happiness, right? You're not supposed to start peeking into the files, the secret files, you know, of Allah Azza wa so this is one thing that happens to people that have to be careful of when they get into the Sufi path or the spiritual path. I don't even know if there are, you know, how many, you know, how many valid paths are there anymore in the world. It's sort of debatable, right? Right. But uh, what they get distracted with is this love of secrets. And all of a sudden, the guy's in La La Land. I'm telling you. Yeah. You see these guys? You can't even hold a regular conversation. He's in La La Land, you know? Yeah, I mean, they're all about zuhud and like they'll like literally just give up everything in life. Everything is just open, and a lot of it, especially without proper aqidah, leads to perennialism. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without yeah. proper aqidah, it becomes all spirituality. Yeah, and, no and then you get like pantheists who believe that you know God is everything and everywhere, and then you get perennialists. They just oh, everybody's peace and love, and we just take everybody, right? So, how does where does one start? with their spirituality if especially in this commotion of like dhikr is bidah this is that this is where do you where where does like a regular person i'm start? almost like thinking now that you brought it up in the beginning of like that there's no concept of spirituality there's no analog right why do we even treat it as a separate entity right like why well, why do we look at it like oh it's a separate component it's so part of being muslim there's the best translation to the english language that i i've i've seen and I'm I'm not sure who 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 the translation is from, so I don't want to attribute it to someone. But it was to to term tasawwuf, tasqiyah, purification of the soul, Islamic psychology, because it's really what it is. True tasawwuf is, look, these are your faults, these are your internal problems. This is where you are lacking in discipline or lacking in commitment, and these are the path, the steps that you can take to shore that up, to make sure that. Your yaqeen is there, that your tawakkul is there, that you're praying on time, and that you're praying on time not for any reason other than Allah. So it's there's no riyah in it. Like that's all that self is about, right? It's this purification of your actual Islamic practice. It's not a separate thing. It's part and parcel. If you look at uh, the human body, the human being has got an intellect, he's got a soul, and he's got a body. If you take the soul out of the body, you got a corpse. If you take the brain out of a body... You got a vegetable, right? You're keeping them alive and they're not benefiting anything and are benefiting themselves or anyone else. So you got to have all three together. So each one is distinct. What strengthens the body won't strengthen the intellect. What strengthens the soul, right, won't strengthen the body. So each one is distinct, but you have to have all three of them together, right? You have to have all three of them together. And that's why you have the example of the Prophet, peace be upon him, which is a huge theme. The Prophet, sallallahu all right, peace be upon him, is a huge theme in the subject of spirituality. Because right. for us, like we said, there's a spirituality of the fitra. If you take any random guy, you give very nice uh, tones, you put him in a beautiful garden room, and you said, sit and relax every day for 15, 20, 30 minutes, right? He is going to be a different person after 40 days. No. But has he attained the nur and the guidance that the prophets have brought? Absolutely right? not. Absolutely right. not. Right. So that's why you got to bring it. It all comes together. Aqidah, fiqh, guidance, how to handle yourself, your politics even, our politics. You can't separate spirituality from all these. You cannot be spiritual, right, and access 
access closeness to Allah by ignoring aqidah, ignoring fiqh, ignoring the correct p- political positions because yeah, politics the, is fiqh and, and aqidah yeah, in many ways. You know, Sheikh Noor has an article. It's called uh, Truth, Other Religions, and Mysticism, mm. right? And basically, it's he, he just gives a quick brief analysis of spiritual people in other religions, you know, John of the Cross, these people, right? And looks at what they've achieved and what they wrote about and then compares it to the thousands of Muslims who have produced copious works on Islamic spirituality. And he shows that real spirituality comes from true guidance, mm-hmm. legitimate guidance. And that legitimate guidance comes from the Prophet yeah. and, and that's why pe- people, when they try to do spiritual stuff, they think, oh, I need to be more spiritual and start separating spirituality from Islam or from other sunnas. Right. And, and that's why I think the term spiritual in itself is broken for us. Yeah, right? it, it doesn't work it. for it us. Work. And I think like, is there anything that, you know, we can use to really understand our connection with Allah? And, you know, well, let me let me tell you, you could have a person. He's trying to get near to Allah. Right. You get near to Allah in so many ways. You study fiqh. Right. Now, in the process of studying fiqh, you see a lot. Of, there are a lot of things that are haram. You start seeing people who are doing these haram things. Or you have aqidah and you start seeing people upon uh, heresy. You start naturally, you're gonna, you have a reaction. Right? You will start hating them. Right? You will start being so angry that they're misguided. Right? So what's the cure to that? We have a science called tasawwuf, which teaches you right, how to handle your anger. That's right. where tasawwuf comes in play, into play. And the, the unfortunate fact is and, and and I want to touch on this just before you touch that is as soon as you use the word tasawwuf as soon as you say you know sufism right mm-hmm. there's a lot of idiosyncrasies associated with those concepts right somebody's going to come in and say oh this is already a bidah right i got to turn this off now right because now they're entering a territory okay, of bidah okay so easy there there are there firstly there are two things that people have a knee jerk reaction to dhikr group dhikr and tasawwuf the first thing to solve is a collection of verses and hadiths and writings of the scholars about these verses and hadiths that have to do with the states of the heart. In other words, they are not doctrines that you have to believe in. They're not beliefs. They're not laws, right? They're not, it's not fiqh. So what is it? It's a third category. It's not the end of time. So what's it? what is it? It's a third category. The states of a human heart. The, 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 the flaws of envy. The problems of envy. The, all these things. Right. Uh, what is reliance on Allah? How do I rely on Allah? Do I stop going to work? How do I do it? Right. <laughs> How do I rely on Allah? Right. Uh, Think about that every day. <laughs> How do I under? How do I th- handle sincerity? If I feel that I'm sincere, what's is it? Is it showing off? If I feel that I'm sincere, I asked uh, Habib Omar that question back in the year 2000, uh, and he said, "To believe that, to recognize that you're sincere." is not a flaw in sincerity unless you think that it makes you better than someone else. Then right. then it's a problem. But the human being knows when he's faking it and when he's sincere. The, the only thing is you don't think you're better than someone else. So what is riyat? Like if I go and get a nice pair of shoes, is this showing off? Is this riyat? Right? Is this the blameworthy riyat that is like a type of shirk? Right? A lesser shirk? Tasawwuf is the study of these internal things that are neither beliefs like the belief in the obligation to believe in the prophet, the belief in angels, nor is it a law. 
per se. Right. That's the self. Yeah. Okay. And th- something that someone explained to me once was, so there's two types of sunnas, if you want, if you want, right? So there's the sunnah of your outward actions and appearances. So how you dress, how your hair is, how your beard is, how you wrap your turban, how you eat. And these are all vital and important. But there's also another type of obligatory sunnah, which is your internal states. How was the Prophet ﷺ when he was faced with danger? How was he when he was faced with a situation that required generosity? How was he when he was faced with a situation that required him to be strong? Mm-hmm. How was he within, when he was faced with a situation that required him to have total reliance on Allah? With his, enemy, with his enemies and So rivals. a lot of people yeah. will counter this by saying, okay, well, all that is fine and good, right? I do that anyway. You know, why do I know good need to go sit in this thicker circle? So that's another thing that's always uh, brought up. And people really, they don't study, right? When they say, the Prophet never did a group dhikr, which is just ab- abject f- falsehood. It's a false, it's, a, it's untrue. You have Sahih Bukhari has two hadiths in the book of Adhan, in the chapter of dhikr after prayer, where the cousin of the Prophet, Ibn Abbas, he says, I used to know when the prayer was over, because he was a young boy when he arrived at Medina. He wasn't always praying five prayers in the masjid. So he said, I used to know that the, that I had missed the prayer, that the prayer was over, because I would still be outside and I would hear the vicar out loud coming from the mosque. Mm. Right? So what was that? The Prophet, peace be upon him, when he first began to teach the Sahaba how to make dhikr and stuff and do these things, he taught them by doing it out loud, the tasbih and the hamd and the Allahu Akbar 33 times each, out loud. They were all were doing it out loud for a period of time until the people figured they learned it after some Allah knows best a couple months or a couple years then it ended up they were doing it silently okay right now here's the thing so what did the prophet show us prophet showed us when people need to be taught right then this method of teaching people is not only accepted that's his method when people need to be taught how to make dhikr he did it out loud right all together in the masjid Right, so that's his methodology, mm-hmm. and people say, "Oh, right, Omar ibn Khattab, what was the first deed that Omar did? What is the first thing that he did as a Muslim?" He said, "Oh, Master of Allah, aren't we on the truth?" He said, "Yes." He said, "Then why are we hiding here in Darul Arqam, the little house of this man named Arqam?" Okay, then he said, "What do you propose?" He said, "Let's all go." He stood up, took the Prophet's eye, set him on the one side, Hamza on the other side. They locked hands. And all the Muslims marched behind them. And what were they saying? They marched to Mecca. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. It was, this thing was a statement, like a march. People people do marches, right? Omar did a march, okay? And it was, and what was the content of the march? Collective dhikr. To show people, to expel the shayateen, right? To make a statement. So you tell me now he did a march. He, he he did dhikr together in a march. He did it in the masjid. This is clearly a technique of the Prophet peace be upon him. Thirdly, when they were digging the trench in Medina, when they were digging the trench, and and the Prophet saw everyone's nervous. Like ten thousand people are coming upon the city. Our women are here. Our wealth is here. Right. Our homes are here. He sees the people are nervous. What did he do? He he uttered two lines. And everyone began singing it. And they just kept repeating those three, four lines, 
right? Three, four couplets. Like it won't be considered not like a poem poem, but like a couplet, right? right? And everyone was singing it. So what is it a technique to alleviate people's tension and stress, right? It's also a method of celebration. So if you look at it, when they arrived in Medina, well, when they arrived in Medina and the children sang Tala al Badru alayna, greeting the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he didn't say this is haram, stop that. He 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 accepted it. Furthermore, there was uh, when he when he established himself in Medina sallallahu alaihi wasallam, there was a group of girls in Medina who came up, and this is all recorded sahih, who came up and started singing a song where they were brushing the ground and saying. Oh, what a what a wonderful neighbor we have the, mm. in this neighborhood, or whatever the neighborhood was called. And he didn't say, "You can't Stop do this. Is haram." Yeah. Actually, what he said is, "Wallahi, I love you for this." Subhanallah. Subhanallah. And then there's there's an Aid when the Ethiopians came to Medina to have an Aid with with the Muslims of Medina, and then they started doing a circle where they were chanting something in the Abyssinian language, and the Prophet wasallam let Aisha radiAllahu anha watch. And he asked one of the people that knew their language, what are they saying? Even though the Prophet ﷺ did know their languages. But he's, this is a teaching moment, right? So he asked them, what are they saying? And they said, they're saying, Muhammadun Abdun Saleh. Muhammad is a righteous servant. And they were chanting this over and over again. He didn't say stop. And this was in the masjid in Medina. So it's, it, it, and, and the last thing is, speaking of Aid. Everybody, even the most hardcore Salafi, does group dhikr every Eid. <laughs> so at Hajj, in the masjid, in the masjid, everything. Now here's the, th- the biggest coup of Shaitan is to make people imagine that avoiding these gatherings is an act of piety. Right. Subhanallah. That's so I mean, why, why has this like happened though? You know, like why? Why do we? It's see happened, this, like, I think, for three reasons. Number one. General ghafla, general heedlessness that people don't, they're not pious and their acts of piety have gone down, right? There's more stuff to do than acts of piety. Back in the day, if there's nothing to do, you go to the masjid, listen to the qari. Nothing to do, you go from Maghrib to Aisha, maybe there's a dhikr. Well, once TV came, it really distracted, it derailed a lot of people. Number two, this a lot of Sufis themselves went astray, mm. right? How did that happen? When the British separated between they allowed non-scholars to open up Sufi orders. The, the Muslims had to, if you're going to open up a, a tariqah, if you're going to do this thing publicly, you have to be a scholar, a recognized scholar by the Azhar. Now, the British broke that up. They knew that we can, the allegiance of the people is through the vicars. That's how the scholars influence the people. And the scholars are no, are, are no they're, they're not fools that we can, we can fool. They're not people that we can fool. So how could we get the people to have allegiance to non-scholars, open up and allow Sufi orders to be opened up by anyone, right? You don't have to be a scholar. And that's where it really began. And, and then and thirdly, by, the Salafism. And by the way, look at, Islam, look at our history. The resistance movements were always led by Sufi scholars. Mm-hmm. Like it's just over and over again in our religion. And by the way, since we're talking about scholars of the past, you should look at Ibn Taymiyyah's fatawa. And his discussion of Tasawwuf and his discussion of Abdul Qadir al Jailani, whom he calls Sheikhna, and his discussion of when he put on the robe that was uh, customary of the Qadiris, and all of that. So, we're t- you know, this is Sheikh al Islam. But, but here's the thing, too, right? You, you mentioned Sheikh Abdul Qadir al Jailani. Many Sufis today, you know, they wouldn't be able to be around Sheikh Abdul Qadir al Jailani because of his firmness. That's correct. That's the, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's where uh, uh, a lot of this, this, the, the groups have become flimsy, floozy. Right. Right. Where, again, it's a separation between the body and the doctrine, 
and the spirit, right? A lot of them are very soft on doctrines and sharia, okay, and sacred law in the name thinking that this somehow is going to improve your spirituality. It will not improve your spirituality, right? You can't improve your spirituality by displeasing Allah. And that's why when you talked about, when you brought up the subject of uh, uh, the revolts, yeah. a lot of the revolts were led by, by Sufi groups. So that's why I want to talk about politics too, right? Because you can be a perfect Muslim. And can if you imagine that your politics is somehow separate from your deen, you're going to go astray. Because most political things, so many political things are linked back to your sacred law or your beliefs. Right? You, you can't be supportive of a politician who is constantly breaking the sacred law and disrespecting God and Prophet. So that's why I think we have to, one of the things we have to emphasize besides knowledge is the right politics. We have gone so far off, right? Sufis now, they're taken as uh, people who are uh, fools when it comes to politics. You need a, you need a sheikh, you could just go fishing in the Sufi community, you'll get one. Right, because some naive person, he's uh, you know so focused on his heart that he doesn't read the news, like he doesn't know what you do every day, right? Or he just has this bizarre notion of dawa, okay? This bizarre notion of dawa that if I get close to this politician and I love him and he loves me, <laughs> somehow he's going to become guided just like that, right? Without any words being exchanged. In the meantime, we we all get confused because we're like, wait, I thought you're a man of deen. Why are you supporting this tyrant? And and I think the opposite also happens where you have, you know, people who are far away from spirituality and involved in politics, Muslims, right, who forget the deen themselves, right? They're just representing Islam more so as a name rather than, you know, uh, you know, as as a Muslim, right? So I mean, it's a it, it's a thin line. So I I know we've discussed this before, but it's like you have this a lot. Yeah. Well, that goes with uh, back to. Uh it's Muslim now as an identity as opposed to like a verb. Yeah. It's supposed to be something that you do, right? And it guides you. Now it's become almost like Italian, Jewish. It's just like an identity. Right. right? It's like a, you can just, be, it's, it's like the Jewish culture, right? Now you're just a Muslim culture. Yeah. And it's yeah. nonsense because there's parameters to being a Muslim. Uh-huh. Some of them are very basic, but there's parameters. We wouldn't, in the, in the age of scientism, you wouldn't let somebody walk around claiming that they're a scientist if they didn't adhere to the scientific method, if they didn't have a degree from a university, yeah, they never studied they, science. If they didn't even know what basic scientific theory is, right? So you wouldn't allow them to call themselves. So how are we allowing these people to go not only call themselves a Muslim but represent Islam when they don't know even the basics of Islam? Yeah. When they have basic deficiencies, like to use that analogy, and they wouldn't know what the law of gravity is and whether the law of gravity on Earth is the same as it is in in, in space. Yeah. Right. There was a commercial the other day. I watched it. I saw it on, uh, um, you know, for one of these videos on YouTube. And it had an army guy, big army guy, walking down uh, Main Street in America, right? And he's giving this speech. And he's, and it's very well-intended, very nice, right? We said, look, uh, no matter what religion you are, no matter what ethnicity you are, what race you are, what language you speak, all this stuff, at the end of the day, we're all Americans, Right. So I get it. It's very like well-intentioned. And they had a Muslim walking and hold, he holds, she, she holds the door for him or he holds the door for her, something like that, right? They had everything, every type of person in the whole inclusivity operation, right? Which I get is a really good spirit and nice... Uh, you know, and, and everyone likes to be included, right? Right. But here's the question, 
right? For you, Alex just said, to be a Muslim, something that has parameters, right? Unity, the concept of unity, we can't lose it. The concept of unity says, hold on to the rope of Allah and be united and don't separate. That means for absolute unity, I get we could be like cordial and, and nice with everyone, right? But the concept of like who you are and who are your people, your people are the people who are an, an adherence to Allah and His Prophet, peace be upon him. Those are your people. And you could be, it doesn't mean you have to be bad to anyone else. But those are your people. Just so that people, young Muslims watching these things could easily become confused, right? Like, what is the core pillar of our identity? Is it just being American? Okay, that's nice, but it's not the core, right? That changes right. every decade, right? The meaning changes every decade. Right. Is it, like, what is it exactly? And that's another thing about spirituality that happens where... It's all about some kind of undifferentiated force of love that ties us all together and we're all one despite having absolute opposite beliefs on everything, <laughs> right? So tell me, where did you where did you hear about this undifferentiated force? Like, tell me about it. This you is, can't. It's just an emotion. This right? is a disease. Uh, you know, there's the, the funny term that people use called it first world problems, right? Yeah. This is a disease of comfort and ease. Mm. And it's one of the tests that comes with wealth and ease, right? Yeah. Like we were talking uh, earlier today before we started recording that wealth is often a bigger test than poverty is and there's no people who have ever had as much ease and wealth and comfort as people living never, in america never. i mean and this is why you see muslims practically losing their mind because one person that is going to maybe make our lives a little less comfortable so we may have a little less access to all the slave labor in the world that produces all the things that we buy cheaply we're more we're so upset because that person got in rather than someone who may be more forceful in killing Muslims around the world. We put our own very basic wealth and comforts above the lives of our brothers and sisters. Like how can you if if the other person had one, would you be celebrating when you know that they're gonna go, go to and definitely are, want to do a land war in a Muslim country? Yeah. You have you have you have no conception of this idea. Yeah, of so when it comes to like comfort and whatnot, you know for you know pretty much the chances of Trump killing Muslims and Clinton killing Muslims in America is not very high. Trump might give Muslims discomfort, but he's going to go out there and do some kind of a, no. a, a mass ethnic murder. Cleansing. Ethnic yeah, cleansing. No. He's not going to do an no. ethnic cleansing. You're still going to be alive. You're not going to be happy. You might not be as happy. But now comp contrast it. Which one is more likely to kill Muslims abroad? Or has already been in charge of policies that have led to that. Yeah. And I'll tell you what a lot of listeners are probably saying to themselves. They're saying you only care about the Muslims, right? You probably you can probably imagine some people are saying, well, you guys are all talking about the Muslims. You only care about the Muslims, your people. Well, we are, these, this, is, this is the guidance our Prophet gave us. The first people that you care for are the people who have submitted to the Prophet and to Allah. That's your number one priority. The Muslim and the Kafir, they're not alike. If there's, there are 10 Muslims suffering on the right side and 10, and 10 pagans suffering on the left side and I got 10 bulls, where am I going? I'm not going to divide them equal. You know, the Muslim is not like a non-Muslim, right? And this is why uh, the, the Muslim is not like the Kafir, not to be made equal, right? Then as to the Kafir. That's he has priority true. to you, right? And, but just to add another wrinkle to this, even then, the teaching of our Prophet wasallam is really beautiful and, and shows true mercy because me probably unique yeah uniquely in this room the person that i care about most and who i have who i would put first before anybody else is actually a non-muslim your mother it's my mother right. so 
even then that's from a divine guidance and this is from divine guidance yeah. so it's not that we don't care at all about non-muslims but there has to be some some criteria based on which you have that that you're not going to put just any non-muslim above the ummah in the name of some Yo, uh, most people don't even care about their neighbors you know what i mean like yeah. we're we're talking about like oh you know the 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 people that criticize this idea of like oh why why don't you care about other people half these people don't even care about their neighbors <laughs> or like what <laughs> next time ask them that's a good point next time ask them what what are your 10 neighbors names right 10 yeah and even then and we big, actually care about our neighbors whether or not they're muslim or not right if you, if you live near someone, that's your guidance, you know and you your neighbor is going hungry then that's that's a that's a problem i for mean you. here's the thing that. it sounds bad when you say it but you ask any other group do you care? like ask ask a hindu you know, exactly. At, yeah. do you, do you, if you had ten Hindus on one Forget side, that. and you had, you know, ask an American. Yeah. yeah. Do you care about Mexicans? Subhanallah. No, <laughs> you don't. Yeah. Stop. Even yeah. if you think with you all, do, you don't. With, you yeah, don't actually. All I, mean, this I mean, they would care once if they deported them all, and now there's no exactly. manual labor. But <laughs> other than that, there's, other than that, they wouldn't sides, care. Right? <laughs> so the Trump people wanted to build this wall. Yeah. Bernie Sanders wanted to build a legal wall where he wanted to keep jobs from going over mm-hmm. there. He wanted to impose tariffs so that. Why? To protect the wages of American workers. He wanted to limit immigration. Yeah. Why? To protect the wages of American workers. As if being born across an imaginary line somehow it, makes you more important. At least our criteria is guidance from God. And it's choice. Yeah. yeah. You could take it anytime. Yeah. Uh, right? Yeah. You, it's not like you're... The like, door's open. Yeah, being, the door's being open. A, a specific race, like you can't be not a Mexican tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Like not many people can like well, at least without some due process. Yeah. And you can't do anything about where you were born. Yeah. And they and although the, the exactly. liberals should say that's possible because you can do everything as a social contract. <laughs> I know. <laughs> not race. <laughs> well, not race. Not not yeah, race. I know. Race is so. It's funny, but isn't yeah. it? Isn't it just the? Isn't it so like hypocritical that race is the one thing that's not a social contract, but all these other things are? It's the thing that's most socially constructed. By yeah, the way. yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like if somebody walked into this room and they looked at all of us, right? Unless they were very familiar with each ethnicity that's in here, they might think that we're all from the, even the same family, and we're basically all from different parts of the world. Our, yeah. our parents, so right. race is to- race and ethnicity is totally made up. Yeah, I mean there there are boundary lines created by human beings, right? So yeah. Yeah. whereas gender has a biological marker. Yeah. <laughs> I mean all, all, all those these these constructs they're all arbitrary, right? At the end of the day, yes. I mean, so like, I mean, I don't want to derail us back into the, that topic, but it's, and we could go on about that all day, but here's the thing. Keep us on topic. No, <laughs> just the one, the one thing to clarify what like Alex was saying, or you were saying every group has their thing, their affinity to one another. And the question is, why is that affinity? And what is it based on? Is it just based on your color, your skin, how, where you were born, like uh, our inclusivity yeah, as Americans, right? Okay. Very nice. Like there are people in North Dakota, Michigan, and Detroit who live far closer to most Canadians, okay, yeah. than to the rest of Americans. Right. So how arbitrary is that? These yeah. so, sound alike. Yeah, yeah. they sound mm-hmm. alike, and they play the same sports. The yeah, everybody cares about their own group. I mean, no, Ameri- but the American is exceptionalism is also based on that idea, right? The, like but the question is this though: those things are all arbitrary, and you could have good and bad people, and you could have your end up becoming a tribe that supports each other in the wrong whereas when your group quote unquote right is number one it's by choice number two it has a high moral standard right it has a because we're not saying you support an unjust muslim over let's say a pagan or a christian or a jew no the judgment will go to them 
right? And we're also not saying that it's like us versus them. This is something I want make people to make sure that they get across. That this doctrine, this concept of your your affinity and loyalty to Muslims primarily, right, should not be taken to that it's us versus them. We're a gang and a tribe, and we're going to try to get all these people. It's not what it is at all, right? Because this thing is by choice. And number two, it's by a high moral standard. You're never going to support someone corrupt who is of your faith over someone Right and do un- injustice to someone just because they're outside of it. So that's just a clarification. And there's just one it. more component I don't want to add to that that brings us back to our original topic, which is that for me, as someone who chose Islam, the reason that I support our group, it's not because I was born into it. It's not because my family is part of that group. It's not because I have these long-standing ties, familial ties or community ties. It's because the Muslims exclusively and we have to be okay with saying this. The Muslims exclusively worship Allah the way that Allah wants to be worshipped. And the Muslims exclusively attribute to Allah the perfections that are due to Him. And so, if I honor my fellow Muslims above other people, it's not because of them, it's because of their relationship with God, which is a relationship that no other group has, That's no matter what anybody claims. That's a beautiful way right. to put it. Yeah. That's a beautiful way to put it. So that even though we have spirituality does not mean that we could fall into these misguided concepts of some kind of, you know, undifferentiated love spirit thing. Where, Eat, pray, love. Yeah, it's not going to be like that, right? It's not going to be like, we have guidance and we have aqidah and it's very important to know that. And on top of that, if you want to know how to do all these things, you got to go back to the Prophet. And the link, I'm telling you, the link between the Ummah and the Prophet, peace be upon him, has been intentionally broken by many different you know, uh, heretical groups, okay? Right. And uh, uh, those who are at any turn, your love for the Prophet, peace be upon him, is suspected to trip into shirk. Yeah, I mean, these people bring this up all the time. It's like, and I I hear this question. It's like, oh, what if you love the Prophet so much that you commit shirk? What what does that even mean? This is why, this is another, I'm telling you, the coup of shaitan on the Muslims, right, and on the Masajid is to... Uh, given the, the the image that love of the prophet peace be upon him or love of dhikr right will all spill you into shirk right and that this is this fear from loving the prophet too much is an act of piety you should see the fatawa that the malikis gave right the malikis has such a strong attachment to the prophet peace be upon him and because of this because of their imam imam malik himself who said if i go to sleep and i wake up and i had not seen the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in my dream, I would count myself as a munafiq. And Imam Malik would not wear sh- would not wear his shoes or ride an animal in the precinct of Medina. Nor relieve himself. Nor will he go to the bathroom in the precinct of Medina. Think about that. Wow. Now, Imam Malik would not enter the masjid of the Prophet without first taking a ghusl for, for his hadith sessions, without taking a ghusl and lighting up a good scent and putting his best clothes on and his best turban on. And he would sit right next to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, and he would lean his hand on it. And he would say, never say, I'm going to visit the grave of the Prophet, rather go visit the Prophet ﷺ. Because in our belief, well, I'm telling you why we have a link to the Prophet, most Muslims don't know about it, that the Prophet ﷺ, by his own hadith, which is, which is between Hassan and Sahih, if you look at the grading of it, it's between Hassan li according to some, Right, that it's uh, the weakest it'll be is that there's so many hadiths with uh, um, that it's Hassan li 
right, with weak change. That's the most extreme uh, critique that this hadith that I'm about to share has. The other, the middle ground, they say, they say yes, it's a Hassan hadith. And the other side will go so far as to say it's a completely sahih hadith, right? And this hadith says, تُعَرَضُ عَلَيَّ أَعْمَالُكُمْ Right? He says, Hayati khayru lakum wa mamati khayru lakum. My life is good for you and my death is good for you. As for my life, I receive revelation and I teach it to you. Right? And as for my death, تُعَرَضُ عَلَيَّ أَعْمَالُكُمْ فَإِنْ وَجَدْتَ خَيْرًا حَمَدْتَ اللَّهُ وَإِنْ وَجَدْتَ غَيْرَ ذَلِكْ إِسْتَغْفَرَتُ لَكُمْ And there's different wordings of this hadith, which basically summarizes to say, My death is good for you. Your deeds are shown to me. If I find good, okay, if I find good, I thank Allah, so that you can, He can increase you. And if I find other than good, I seek istighfar for you. That means when a Muslim commits a sin, Prophet ﷺ, he's informed of it, and he makes tawbah on your behalf. Doesn't mean that you don't have to make tawbah. He's seeking istighfar for you, praying, Oh Allah, forgive him. Oh Allah, turn him back. Oh Allah, bring him back. This is your Prophet, peace be upon him. Receiving your deeds, that means if he receives your deeds, that means he knows your name. That means he knows who you, who you are. All right? He knows your good deeds, what you're doing. All right? And then because of another hadith, they said there's one set of Muslims who they get cut off from their deeds going to the Prophet. Right, who are these? The heretics and the hypocrites and the apostates, of course. Right? Because of the hadith that he will call upon people who have the signs of Islam on them, right? They have the signs of Islam on the day of judgment. He will call to them and an angel will say, Stop, you don't know what they innovated, right, after your death. Right? Right? That means that cut off from this spiritual link to the Prophet, peace be upon him, are those people who are basically heretics and we talked about heresy before it's that which rejection of what is from the Quran and the Mutawatir Hadith right so this is the deep deep link that we have to the Prophet peace be upon him and that's what our spirituality is based on right uh, because he's the one who gathers what we've been saying and the right doctrine right the way the, the way to cure your spirit the right law the right politics even and all these things and so based on all this stuff right we talked about some fringe groups we have you know people who are so away from the sawuf and then you have some people who are so lost in the sawuf right that people have taken a knee-jerk reaction away from it what can you guide you know what advice can you give to people on actually understanding the sawuf the proper methodology how to go about you know learning it or putting it into practice where do you start well, I would start first by studying. You've got to study your aqidah first. And you will find that people who are on sound aqidah all have some knowledge of, some degree of tasawwuf. Can you, can you talk about aqidah a little bit? When we're talking about aqidah, the broad stroke, you're going to eliminate those who are having any anthropomorphism in their theology. You're going to eliminate those who have reason over revelation, okay, which are modernists. Like, okay, anthropomorphists, you're going to have some of the Salafis who are at, at an extreme. Because not all Salafis, some are all anthropomorphists, right? right? Because there are some who say, we yes, we accept the attributes as they are, but they're uh, without time and space. So in that case, we're not going to say that's an anthropomorphist, right? Right. But remove that. And then remove those who have Shiism, okay? Right. Shi Shiism or Shia tendencies. Okay, and then you're going to 
you, when you start studying Aqidah from Sunnis, all Sunnis will have a degree of tasawwuf. So we we'll start with Aqidah because that's what's going to ground us. And fiqh. Okay. And then ultimately the best of uh, tasawwuf is going to come from the Ghazali books and Abdul Qadir Jilani's books. And then if you practice that, then you hope that Allah Azza wa Jal will make you cross paths with someone living who could inspire you on the path. Mm. You know. And when you cross paths when you cross paths with that person, one of the uh, one of the sheikhs of Tasawwuf, legitimate sheikhs alive today, said that there's a basic criteria. When you look at the sheikh, you need to look at two things. Does he practice Islam? Meaning he prays on time in the masjid. He fasts in Ramadan. He reads Quran. He practices like a practicing, mm-hmm. serious, committed, conservative Muslim. A. And B. Is he a scholar to the level where he can answer most questions that you would present to him about religion? Not with referring to books, not with I'll get back to you, yeah. but he can respond, just respond to you. In and the you'd ask who his teachers are. Yeah, of he's course. And he has to have a lineage. Yeah, he's right. Have lineage he has to have the teacher who certified him, who himself has teachers. And these people are all recognized by the majority of the Muslims in their community. Let me tell you a story about a man who went to Salah on the Prophet, peace be upon him. He was in debt. He borrowed money from people to pay back his debts. He fell into worse debt. To one, he, he borrowed money from one man to pay all his debts. All right. Then he fell into worse debt, so he couldn't pay him back. So that man took him to court. So he went to in front of the court that day. This is way back in the time of the, I think, the Abbasids. And he went to court, and he said... Uh, the judge, he said, give me three days to settle affairs with my family, then put me in jail. Now the judge says, okay, well, what's going to guarantee that you come back? You have to bring me someone in your place, right, that I can put in jail, right, if you don't come back, right? Like you bring your family member, someone's got to come. It's like a human bail. Like a human bail, right? right? Human bail. And that's one of our concepts in Islam, a human bail. So, the man thought and he has he has nobody right he has nobody then he remembered a hadith the prophet said i'm the caretaker of every mu'min so he said my bail is rasulullah sallallahu alaihi now this judge he had some kind of goodness to him right and he had an understanding of iman and whatnot and he said okay go now it's on his neck right it's on his neck now right so he goes now and he went to his wife. The man, poor man went to his wife and he said, I have made our bail to be Rasulullah. Bail us out. So let's sit and make some salah on the Prophet. So they sat. They had no food anyway. Uh, they had no light or anything. So they just made salah on the Prophet, peace be upon him, until they both fell asleep. So that night the man saw the Prophet in his dream. And he, this man owed four, he owed a thousand gold coins or something. So he went back in this dream. He saw the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, you use me to bail you out and I will bail you out. Go to the wali, the governor of the city, and tell him to give you, to, to repay your whole debt, to repay your full debt. And if he asks you, what is the proof, right, that you saw, like anyone could say the messenger told me to, to tell you right so if he says if he asks you what is the proof or the evidence that you saw the prophet sallam, tell him that that he is accustomed to sending me a thousand salawats every night 
But last night, he made a mistake in the counting, but it all it arrived completely. Like mm. he that the that the governor made a mistake in the counting of his salawat, but Allah counted it as a thousand, even though it was like nine hundred something. Okay, it was less. He said, "That's your proof." So he goes to the governor the next morning, knocks on the door. He says, "I have a, a very important message." He gets to the governor. He says to him, "The messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, sends a message to repay my debt." He says, well, "What is the proof of this? Anyone could come and tell. <laughs> if I if I give a precedent here, everyone is going to be paying. Uh, pay, hey, everyone's debt." He said, "The Prophet sallallahu has a message for you." He said, "Last night, okay, only you and Allah know that you messed up the numbering." The ca- you messed up the numbering. That means you fell asleep or something. That you didn't do a full thousand. Right. But Allah has received. I have received it all. Allah counted it as a thousand. So the, he he wept and he gave him a thousand uh, dirhams, whatever it was, dinars. Then he went to court with the thousand. He said, "Khalas, we don't need to have a court case here, right?" The judge said, "No, we do have th- something to settle. We do have something to settle." He said, "I have a message." That I myself saw Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He <laughs> said, to, "He said to me, you are a rich man, and you saw this poor man coming. If you give him the one thousand dinars, give him one thousand dinars, then I will intercede for you on your maqiyama. Give him one thousand dinars. Then the plaintiff came in, right? Himself <laughs> carrying a sack. Okay, the plaintiff came in and said, I." saw Rasulullah by the blessing of this man's sincerity I saw Rasulullah who said to me you know you that you don't need this money okay forgive his debt and give him a thousand dinars <laughs> and I will intercede for you on Yom Qiyamah right so he went home not only his debt sur- sur- uh, filled his court case over rich with three thousand dinars Allah. Allah. so Rasulullah wasallam. It's the heart of Islam. And this is the heart of spirituality. And this is all of spirituality. It's Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right. And this is why salah upon him is a tool not only for your spirit, but for your dunya. And I don't know how a person, you know, before you sleep, you take your, your beads and you count off a thousand salawats on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's far better than sitting in an hour you know, you're watching TV. We're all gonna sit reading like, a thousand Facebook posts. Yeah, we're all gonna sit like we're all gonna <laughs> do, sit do like, a thousand uh, beads. <laughs> we're all gonna sit like bums and watch some TV when we come home from work. A lot of people do anyway, or YouTube or cell phone or whatever, right? People need to unwind, but don't sleep on that. Don't sleep. Don't sleep with that, and take that stuff out of where you're gonna sleep. Put it away far and do doing a couple do a thousand salawats on the Prophet or dhikr of Allah in any way. And sleep with that and you'll see, I'm telling you, your body will heal. If you have sickness, if you have aches, I'm telling you, like little aches. I'm not saying this is a cure for cancer, right? But I'm telling you, you will physically wake up like full of energy. You'll sleep heavily when you sleep with dhikr. I, I mean, I, I've witnessed this myself. I tell Saad this all the time. I know Saad and I have this discussion. I, alhamdulillah, somehow managed to have so much time and energy in the day in the last like year and I haven't been able to figure out why. And then I was like, you know, what did I change in the last year? And the only thing I've really changed is I do the Wird al-Latif every single day before leaving in the morning. Mm, and it and it has provided me with energy that I cannot, and barakah in my day that, that, that I cannot even understand. You know what, uh, Moeen, uh, after, after we record this, we're going to go onto the website and put uh, sspodcast.co. We're going to put links to the Aurad. 
right? Audio and uh, PDF. We got to do that. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, we got to do that. So I just wanted to, my last thing is, anybody that's listening to this, if the story that Dr. Shadi just told about the man with the debts or what Moeen said or the hadith that I'm about to say in which a man came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he asked him, he said, I make a portion of my remembrance of Allah salawat upon you, a tenth. What do you say about it? And Rasulullah said, it's good, but more is better. And then he said, what about a third? It's good, more is better. What about half? It's good, more is better. And he kept going until the man said, what if it's only that? And he said, it will only be of benefit. SubhanAllah. Right? right? And if you doubt any of those things, SubhanAllah. then that's specifically the proof that you need that your spirituality is maybe lacking because these are realities beyond the physical, realities beyond the things that we can touch, mm-hmm. the things that we can see, the things that we can weigh, the rakat that we can count. This is realities that exist with Allah. And so work on your spirituality so when you hear these things, your reaction is not, I don't know about that, mm-hmm. but rather, subhanAllah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, More like I need to get on that. Right? Right. <laughs> you need to get some of that. The, the foundation, honestly, one of the hu- biggest pillars of foundations of, if you want to talk about spirituality, is aqidah related to the Prophet, wasallam, which has been, I'm telling you, attacked and corrupted. The concept, the Prophet wasallam, is as if it's non-existent anymore because he's dead. No, we actually believe he has more power and cap- capacity and capability than when he was alive. When he was alive, was he seeing the deeds of all the Muslims when he was alive? No. He wasn't, right? Seeing the deeds of all the Muslims when he was alive except what Allah showed him, right? right. But after his death, he's seeing everything. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam of the deeds of the, his believers and his followers. His powers have increased because in this life, you're trapped to the body. After this life, okay, you're free, right? And you're, you're, the, the powers of the soul are far greater than what anything we can imagine. Right. You know? and, and and as soon as you said that, you know, it's almost as if I had a knee-jerk reaction and lots of other people will have it. Yeah. Well, right? that's where you got to change your you gotta beliefs. You got to change this, right? Regarding like, you to have the to understand that the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam And this is based you know, on knowledge, based on facts. Absolutely. Right? Hadiths. Right? And now, the martyrs. What do we say about the martyrs? La taqulu amwat. Allah mm. says, "Don't say they're dead." Right? But they're alive getting sustenance in the graves in the Quran. Is the Prophet ﷺ less than a martyr? Not only is he an equal to the martyr, he is a martyr because of we know that he one of the causes of his death was the poison that the Jewish woman put in the lamb that Allah caused him to eat so he could get the reward and the benefit of dying as a martyr. We know that that's a fact, this undisputed fact. Okay, who disputes that doesn't know their sirah. Okay, number two, the messenger peace be upon him. Okay, also is superior to all martyrs all prophets are superior to martyrs all messengers are superior to prophets and the prophet muhammad is the most superior to all the messengers absolutely okay. so his power and cap- capacity to to grasp and to help and to be aware of his ummah <laughs> are greater right Saad's laughing. Why, why, no, why are just, you laughing? Just, just the way you said that was just was just great. Yeah, because people have ignorance. Because people, because I know there's gonna be some smart, smart Alec who's yeah, like, oh, you know, what about have. the hadith about you know? Yeah. They're gonna say, oh, you know, what yeah. about when when Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu told Omar, you know, not to say that, you know, that you know, you know the you yeah. know the story. Or like say yeah. what? Whoever has worshipped Muhammad. Right? Yes, yes. Right. They're gonna bring right. this. Omar said, if anybody tells yeah. me that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is dead, I'll kill him. Yeah. Right. And what Abu Bakr recited was an ayah of Quran that the messenger 
He's a, a messenger. A man. Right. He's a man and he's like uh, like the other messengers. Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you one of the reasons. But like the other messengers. Not yeah. like us. <laughs> yeah. Like the other messengers. Yes, the Prophet ﷺ has died in the earthly sense. He's not no longer on this earth walking. However, you go in Sahih Muslim, you see the Prophet ﷺ walking to the Umrah and Hajj. To, to, it was Umrah or Hajj, one of those. And he said, oh, if you could see what I see, because I now see Moses, son of Imran, walking to make pilgrimage with us. This is in Sahih Muslim. How does Prophet Musa walking, making pilgrimage with us? Then on the Isra and the Mi'raj, he goes and sees Jesus pray, or he sees uh, Musa in his grave reciting Quran, right? Then he goes up to the sixth heaven and he sees Musa there again. And then he prays with them in Aqsa before that and he sees Moses, Moses praying with them there, right? So the bodies and the, uh, the, the spirits of these prophets and messengers is not what you can imagine. Now, you can imagine something. You can imagine someone playing a video, a YouTube video of anything that went viral all over the world at the same time, right? Right. Okay. Now, you th this is something that Kafir in invented. You think Allah, Azza wa Jal, the spirits of the messengers is less than this. You have here, Musa is in four places at the same time. Just figure that out. Also, anyone who thinks that the NBA don't benefit us after their death, Musa alayhi salatu wasalam reduced by having a colloquy with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam caused our number of salat to be reduced from 50 to 5. Mm -hmm. I mean that's clearly benefiting so us, wow. right? No, it is because yeah. we get the same reward that we would have got from having to do 50 but we only so have to do 5. That's a very good point of a Prophet benefiting an entire ummah 3,000 years after his death. Go right. figure that out. Yeah, go figure that out. Exactly. Yeah, go figure go. You know. And the, the Prophet engaged in a conversation. He said, go back and mm -hmm. go back several times. He's engaging in a conversation. A with full him. on existence beyond this life. And this is why it's, it goes back to these core fundamental beliefs that we're never going to unleash our spirituality if we think the Messenger وسلم, you know, is just but passed on and dead. Okay. SubhanAllah. I mean, and this is a, a big part of, you know, this concept of spirituality quotes where i'm on you know quoting the air here um because this is forgotten right and when you talk about the sawwuf when you talk about you know on your connection with allah it starts with rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that's right? where it all starts that's why and that's why uh the perennialist thing is the biggest insult on the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam right you were saying he's a add-on to be bypassed that you could you do not obligated to that to go through him Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like he's a node in the network versus the main exactly. conduit in the network. That's exactly it. And if you tell people that, if you tell Muslims that he's actually just like, you know, one of the, then in that case, all of the efforts to follow him become unnecessary. Like I feel yeah. like I'm it's not optional. I, then see it. Yeah. I'm not actually optional. Oh, right? why, why? Why did they even become Muslims to begin with? They could have yeah. just followed Musa. That's the thing. Or Isa. Yeah. That's the thing. Or why did we become anything? We could have just followed Adam alayhi salam to begin yeah. with, right? Yeah. What's his <laughs> like, thing? But by the way, as an aside, on the perennialist thing, you know they do have a, a limit. Yeah. What is their limit? What is their limit? Anything. And who and who gave them that limit? Who's the authority that they respect that gave them that limit? Wh whoever their teachers are. Okay. But so the limit. Their heads, the limit. But it comes from from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The limit is anything that came after Islam. Okay. So, so Hinduism. They believe he's and They do because Hinduism they accept. But isn't that contradictory to their entire premise? If they're yeah. looking at like every, if they say that every, you know, all of these are equally valid paths to salvation, except after this arbitrary yeah. time, 
then it's yeah. like that it almost undermines their entire no, premise in the first place. So no yeah. Sikhism, no mm-hmm. Rastafarianism, no <laughs> Mormonism. No, 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 all that stuff doesn't count under their umbrella. No, tell me then they got that from. Uh, so you can't be a they, Mormon, but you're cool being a Catholic. Like this is fine. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's what they're that saying. This, this doesn't so basically, sense. where did they get that? The question is from Quran and Hadith, right? Yeah. Well, Quran and Hadith gives you a lot of the other finality. To, yeah, yeah. The fi- you got the finality, then why don't why not the exclusivity, the requirement? And here's here. Let me tell you why this theology is going to be huge going forward is because anyone with a globalist agenda, what is the biggest one of the biggest problems of globalism? They don't like nationalism. They want to tear that. They're using economy, right, to tear down borders, trade. Other big problem is religion. is a big unifying force to people. So they need to bring religions together, right? Anyone with a globalist agenda out there, right, will need to constantly show that religions come, come together and find the strain within those religions that becomes not only outwardly tolerant and outwardly friendly. We, we believe in outwardly being friendly and tolerant with all people, right? However, theologically not, okay? They need to bring the strain that allows you know, the scholars to preach a theological tolerance, right? Right. right. And right. this is, I'm telling you, it's part of a bigger fabric of universalism and globalism. Yeah, right? because the communists tried to eliminate religion, yeah. and that's an utter failure. Utter it just brought them more it, resistance. Yeah. So this is a new, a new ch- operation. Yeah, a new so, tactic, basically. So I mean, we're we're having a lot of fun. But it's not new because the Quraysh tried it. That's true. The Quraysh tried it. They said, we'll worship your God one day, you worship my God another day, etc. And we'll all be friends. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll, it'll all work out. And, uh, and Allah addressed them. Kul ya yuhal kafirun. Uh-huh. Not, ya kafiru. Yeah. Ya yuhal kafirun. That's it. You're kafirun for saying that. Subhanallah. That was, that was yeah. the thing that caused Allah to reveal, that Allah chose to reveal that ayah yeah. once they made that move. Yeah. Right. Because of the supreme danger of that. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, we're having a lot of fun here, and I know we could keep on going How with this topic. How long did we go? Aren't we way over the time? We, we're at uh, an hour and ten. Oh, my gosh. We got to cut it out. That, so, I told yeah. you when it was we 30, should, and you were like, let's keep it yeah, running. Yeah. Next time, I'm going to do, um, do a hard stop at 40. Yeah, we got to <laughs> do a hard stop at 40, yeah. honestly. It's, you know it's too long. You I can't mean, keep I, it going like I that. I mean, let, let's see what people think. Some if people they're have having long fun. commutes. That's true. People have long commutes. Yeah. And I'm, some people commute one way, half hour. Another way, they'll finish it on the way back. I mean, if people are having fun, we can keep going, right? So, like, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. Or you can even release it as two parts. If there's a if there's a natural there's like a logical stop. That's sad. Sad. I'll tell you. And I hate to always bring it up, but so some of some of the some of the Joe Rogan's podcasts run like three and a half hours. That's insane. And do people listen to this? I I, I'll sometimes listen to because I'll I'll start it in the morning commute. Listen to it on the way back. Yeah. Listen to it in the next morning, and I'll finish it because it's an interesting. Who topic. are we gonna mm. give a shout out to here as we close up? You got that bottle that I gave you? Uh, it's in my jacket. I'll go get it. Yeah. Hey, go grab it. So, uh, yeah. uh, meanwhile, while while Alex grabs his bottle, um, uh, we have now created a website, so you can check out our podcast at www sspodcast.co uh, Dr. Shadi and, and I and, and a few guest speakers will also be posting blogs on the page as well uh, we also are, have a new Facebook page so you can so Dr. Shadi inshallah will share it on his page and you can like that page and you can follow our updates for the podcast there uh, if you're interested in um, you know commenting letting us know you can email podcast uh, at safinasociety.org so uh, Dr. has he's, we have a little commercial here we'd like to get yeah, so, a plug uh, we got a plug yeah, we got any, a plug. any of these people the, there are too many people this want. is the first official plug yeah <laughs> actually I got, I got a lot of emails that people want me to plug in their stuff 
and they and they even offered yo put us at the beginning oh, right oh all right firstly this is not we're not here for profit but anyway we'll plug in your if stuff. you listen to the end but you you're know, gonna you but here is you want to plug in at the beginning you're, that, you're gonna go gold star you're not gonna get so the they bronze want that treatment prime right time so they want do- that prime, send that stuff to podcast at safinasociety.org you don't do my head in with can you advertise this can you advertise yeah. i can't say no to people because you know when you're supposed to be in the masjid you got to be all nice and stuff well, so you have to say yes but, to everyone right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I think i think that what people the way that people should look at it is we'll, we're willing to thank you if you've given us a reason to be thankful so we'll call you we'll name you we'll name your product we'll yeah you, you give us a, give us a reason to be thankful and num- have a good product too yeah, and that's why i don't like to receive these emails because you don't know the quality i gotta be nice to people yeah right? i can only beat up like uh, a shadow image and that right. is not a real person right, right. <laughs> but uh anyway send that stuff to podcast at safinasided.org moin will go through it Okay, and it'll show you the procedure of get how to get your brand or your company. And we support business. We're not socialists here. Or so, we're not, we're not communists here, so, right? so what we, we got this business. week? So what do we got? Oh, we got uh, our homeboy from Montreal. Okay, our, our main guy here. He's sent us a bottle of hibiscus blend. All right, elegance beard oil. Wow. All right, Huel Abarba. Okay, I guess that's French or something, right? Hundred percent natural. Okay, let's see what else we got here. Uh, so this was his Fabrique in Canada. All right. So this it got French all over here. Uh, Elegance Beard. Montreal, right? Yeah, Montreal. And he's got Quebec Nordique's colors here. Uh, he's got a, this neat guy with sunglasses and a beard. Silhouette type of thing. Uh, it's his logo. If you open this thing up, the beauty of it is it actually doubles as... So lip. is this beard fragrance or beard oil? It's beard oil that also you can rub on your whole mouth and lips and doubles as... Like a balm? A balm. Oh, okay. I don't know. Cool. Almost as we can't say that, right? But yeah. You could spell it out. Balm. It's, it's, it's yeah. a balm, right? <laughs> balm. Lip gloss balm. and a B-A-L-M. Okay, so... Uh, so elegant spirit. So where can you get this? Well, this one's going into Alex's pocket because this was sent and... Uh, that's called that's Alex. A, that's a special so he's gift. the lucky man of the day. All right. and, and I needed this because, as as we talked about before we started recording, you know, sometimes our wives, uh, while they accept the sunnah, they don't always like it on their husband's on face. <laughs> 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 well, is she going to be listening to this? And then, uh, she, she will be, and uh, but she's very supportive. But she'll be more supportive if the beard is softer and better kept. Mm. Yeah, so uh, Alex is guy sporting a nice, handsome operation now then i'm telling you it's a good one and the, the website is elegancebeard.com and about this pot uh, this you know podcast page and the blog one thing i want to tell people is that this blog is not don't i want to get people's expectations from the beginning yeah this blog is not going to go off into left field and talk about lebron james or phil jackson and and politics and trump and culture yeah. and you know hijabis with cons and stuff like that <laughs> we're right. not talking about silly stuff <laughs> yeah this is the one thing about safina Saudi i'm very critical about we got to stay focused, right? This organization is focused. If you want silly blogs, you want political blogs, yeah. unless the politics actually has to do with the dean, which is something that like commanding right and forbidding wrong. Right. Safina Sadi is focused on bringing deeny content right, out to people. So that's what the blog will have. Just because I don't want people's expectations to be like, oh, it's a blog. Let's see what he said about this. And have a knee-jerk articles on every issue under the sun. I've seen many websites and blogs go off the deep end because all of a sudden they got to comment on the serial podcast yeah right of whether or not that guy is guilty or innocent right or anything or they just got to comment on anything Adnan Said Adnan Said Said, actually he's like 
become like a wali in the, in the jail. <laughs> <laughs> did you, uh, did you talk hear the about ep- spirituality? Last few right? episodes? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, didn't I saw the last few episodes. This guy's like a wali in jail. He's yeah. like, I have a life, man. I memorize Quran. Yeah. I study. I do stuff, and I don't know how you guys do it. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have to lower his gaze out there, right? Yeah, right. So he's got. He's like, uh, you know. But anyway, <laughs> no, this is on the topic of spirituality. Worst comes to worst, Oof. and you get incarcerated, dude. Make use of the time. Make use, dude. You don't have to lower your gaze again, right? Because <laughs> dudes have that much of a problem that they're lowering their I'm gaze. I'm telling yeah. you, half of spiritual. What one of my sheikhs said, all of spirituality begins with lowering your gaze. You could do all 99 percent if you miss this one percent. It outweighs all the 99 percent. Wow. Lowering the gaze, it's a big battle to lower the gaze. Yes. And one another one of them, Azhar Osman. Yo, we gotta get Azhar on here sometime. Maybe one time. So this uh, is a shout out to Azhar Osman. Azhar Osman. <laughs> Right, uh, if he's ever it's in not, New Jersey, it's not just a shout out. It's like a yo, come on a show. Yeah, we yeah, got him. I love this show. Then yeah. I love this. Most Muslims know him as a guy who has an act, and for some reason he's like not present anymore or something. He's they don't see him as much. I know him much deeper than that. Yeah, he's way different. He's a full number one. He's brilliant. He's he, he has ilm. He has spirituality. He's got his commentaries, and also he's also like us trying to be free from all these umbrella groups. Where you have to be politically correct, you just walk like a kitten, okay, and then you're a good Muslim. He's not like that, right? But Azhar Osman, well, he was even saying his sheikh said, if you're uh, free from pornography in this day and age, you're a wali. <laughs> one, of, one of his sheikh said that. One of his sheikh said, if you're not addicted to that stuff, you're like a wali, right? You're like wow. you're a junior wali. Right? I'm you. Is there like a junior league for the? Yeah, it's like a junior yeah, yeah, yeah. league. Man. It's like the minor leagues. Like the minor <laughs> leagues. Man. So, so, alhamdulillah, I think this is uh, you know enough time, inshallah. So, you know, this is a great podcast. Join us next time, everybody. Uh, check us out at www.sspodcast.co. Check out our Facebook group. Uh, share, like the page, and uh, join us next time on the Safina Society podcast. This is us signing off. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikumsalam. Waalaikumsalam.